Talk about a great backup. Wow. I feel pumped to preach now, especially since what they're singing ties in very well with what I'm saying today. And as I do so, remember that as we face the scripture together, together, there might be something in here for you and for me as we listen to God's word. Our scripture reading comes from 2 Kings 19, 19, 1 through 7. And when King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and entered the house of the Lord. Then he sent Elikim, who was over the household with Shimna, the scribe, the elders of the priests, covered with sackcloth to Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amos. They said to him, Thus says Hezekiah, This is a day of distress, rebuke, and rejection, for children have come to birth, and there is no strength to deliver. Perhaps the Lord your God will hear all the words of Rabbishakah, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to approach the living God, and will rebuke the words which your Lord your God has heard. Therefore, offer a prayer for the remnant that is left. So the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah. Isaiah said to them, Thus you shall say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard, which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him, so he will hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. God, I just ask you that the words that I share today will be indeed your words, that you will speak through me. And as we hear this message, our hearts will be reminded of your faithfulness, how you are God who sees us through a God who's bigger than anything that we can fear. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, we are a fearful society. It's interesting, a survey was done in 2018 by Chapman University. Now, they were able to pull 1,190 Americans all across the country. And in so doing, they found the top 10 things that people were most fearful about. Now, this is a disclaimer. These fears are not particularly my fears. And here they are. In the words of Steve Harvey from Family Feud, survey said, the number one is corruption of government officials. Number two, pollution of oceans. Number three, pollution of drinking water. Number four, not having enough money in the future. Number five, people I love becoming seriously ill. Number six, people I love dying. Number seven, air pollution. Number eight, plant and animal species extinction. Number nine, global warming. Number 10, high medical costs. It's obviously I was not consulted about this list because if I had been, snakes would have been right at the very top. They are not my favorite. I like from the distance, like in a cage. So today we're going to look at a man. His name is King Hezekiah. This man had fear. You know why I like this guy? It's because he's very real. He's someone that we, we can look at and go, you know what, this guy was in a situation that was very intimidating. He was afraid. So therefore, I can feel okay that, that I too fear as well. There's hope in this as we look at his life. Interesting, the name Hezekiah means the Lord strengthens. He did need the Lord's strength. He did right in the eyes of God, which was not always the case of prior kings of Judah. You see, they had turned the people away from God. They worshipped false idols. They got people to, instead of worshipping God, worshipping themselves. 
and not being a part of God's ways, not obeying the Ten Commandments. And then as we look at this King Hezekiah, he was quite different. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord for sure. He's even mentioned Jesus' genealogy in the Gospel of Matthew. He held fast to the Lord. He followed the Ten Commandments. But also, he took down the idols that were the high places where people went to worship. He broke down the pillars of Asherah. He broke into pieces. There was a bronze serpent that Moses had made. The people burned incense to worship. He got rid of that too. And as we look at what King Hezekiah did, we need to look at the time that Hezekiah was living. What was going on in his life that caused him to be potentially fearful? We see he was, as I said, the part of the southern kingdom of Judah. And as he was there, the king of Assyria, of a neighboring country, was approaching upon the kingdom of Judah. And he was going to invade the country and, in, and after that dethrone King Hezekiah and Judah would be demolished. Well, as it turns out, this king Hezekiah was able to hold this king of Assyria at bay for a period of time. And then coming up later in, in his reign, the 14th year, the king of Assyria took all the fortified cities of Judah, all the cities except for one. And that would be the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, where King Hezekiah was in his kingdom and his reign. And as he was there, he wanted to somehow keep this king of Assyria at bay. So he says to the king, listen, I'll give you gold and silver. Take this. You're welcome to have it. And then you'll be done with it. And we won't have to bother you anymore. It's like bribing the bully. And the bully on the playground, I'll give you my lunch money if it just won't bother me. So that's what this king did. Not only the gold and silver that he had in his possession, but he even went to the temple, the sacred temple, took the gold off the doors of the temple and gave it to this king of Assyria. Things began to get worse. The payment didn't really work. This king of Assyria sent a delegation of, of bullies from Assyria to go to, the, to the Jerusalem, to the walls of Jerusalem. Now picture this. Here they are, these officials, walls of Jerusalem, quite tall, and there are these soldiers up top. And the soldiers are carrying arrows and bows and ready to ward off their city. But the one official from the king of Assyria says, listen up here, people. Give it up. You're not going to win. Your God is not going to defend you. Your God is pointless, useless. Don't even think that Hezekiah is going to be able to deliver you. Fat chance. So if you would give up now, make it easy. They even tried to bribe them. You see, the city of Jerusalem, since they were under siege, they're quite poor. They didn't have supplies coming in, so they were hungry. So they, they said to these soldiers, hey, we'll take you to our land. You'll have grain and bread and wine, olive trees and honey. Follow us and you will live. And from that, they were indeed tempted to do so. But King Hezekiah, when he heard what was going on, he was very distraught. He did something that most kings did when they were in mourning. He would rent his garment, tore them, and he wore sackcloth and ashes. Sackcloth, what is that? Well, that is a, a coat made out of, of goat hair. And goat hair is not very comfortable. So as he wore this goat hair, he was reminded of the pain of the people of Israel, the people of Judah, of what they had done. They turned away from God, but also the approaching pain of what was going to happen to them. And as he was in great pain, he was mourning. He was indeed repenting for these people, asking God to spare them. King Hezekiah, he sends officials to the prophet Isaiah. When you need some help, you're bringing the big guns. So he went in, and he had prophet Isaiah brought on the scene. 
And these officials were dressed in sackcloth as well. And they said, listen, our king is in great distress. He's experienced rejection and disgrace and fear. So from that, Isaiah was, was informed. And then they, they said, well, haven't you heard, Isaiah, that this, this king of Assyria, he has said some words that, were, that are words that rebuke God. And as he rebukes God, he also is one who is against God. And so then they say, therefore, pray for the remnant left. So Isaiah makes a response. And he says, please tell your master Hezekiah this. I love this. This is probably the best advice that King Isaiah gave. And this was it. Tell him, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid because of the words you have heard. The servants of Assyria have revived me. I will put a spirit in him, the king of Assyria, so he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land. I will cause him to fall by a sword. Indeed, that's what happened. The king of Assyria was, a, was handed a letter to King Hezekiah. And as this letter was given to him, it's one of those, this is going to be really bad letters, you know? One of those letters that you read, you're like, oh, this is like doom and despair. So this king of Assyria gave him this letter through his officials, and he took this letter, and what does the king do? He goes to the temple, and as he goes to the temple where he experiences God, he reads this letter. And it's one of those letters that's like, whoa, this is not good. For the king of Assyria is saying, listen, King Hezekiah, there is no sense for you to even worship this God. He's not going to deliver you. Your, your, your God is pointless. Don't go there. For if you do, I will conquer you. I will flatten your city and carry you away. And from that, obviously, that could have caused this poor king to experience even more fear from what was told him. But you know what's so neat? God intervenes again. And Isaiah says to King Hezekiah, he says this to him, God has heard your prayer. There will be a faithful remnant of Jerusalem. The king of Assyria, he will not come into your city to shoot an arrow there. I will defend you. I will save you. And then from that, this is interesting what happens. On the outskirts of Jerusalem, where the Assyrian armies were camped, 185,000 of them were killed by an angel of the Lord. And then the remaining soldiers left to go back to Assyria, along with the king. The king goes to his temple, where he's worshiping false god, and gets this, he's killed by his two sons. As I summarize this account of what, what I just shared in the life of King Hezekiah, there is a theme going on here, people. The theme is intimidation. Trying to cause someone to be afraid to keep that person from being faithful, to keep that person from being strong, to lead that person to submission. Indeed, fear can be used to control us, can it not? Imagine how King Hezekiah felt, fearless, very much helpless, hopeless, in great despair of what could happen. And he had great despair of what could happen. I mean, looking at the other cities in Assyria that they were conquered, and then as he moved further on, seeing how this Assyrian army, they were strong. They had already conquered the northern kingdom. And then from that, believing the lies, that they don't have to, that's, that's no sense to rely upon God, that God is not going to save you, that God is a God to doubt. And then finally, the bribes of the military. His military might leave him to go for, for greener pastures. And then that, King Hezekiah had a response to his fear. This, to me, is probably one of the best examples how to deal with fear in the Bible. You see, I told you he goes to the temple to pray. I didn't read you his prayer because his prayer is in the next chapter of 2 Kings, 
But this is powerful. He goes to the temple, and what does he say? He says, God, I recognize you of who you are. I recognize you that you are the Lord God of Israel. You are God. You are, you are alone, the king of all the kingdoms. You have made heaven and earth. God, you are a living God. You're more powerful than some wooden golden idol. That God indeed is the one that will rescue us. God is the one who is with us. And from that, that gave Hezekiah what he needed to press forward. And that was to be able to face his pain. You know, he'd already experienced some of the pain in the temple prior, looking at uh, the odds against him and the challenges and the people's sin. But he was taking that pain to God, and God was meeting him there. He was recognizing the power of God in that that helped him with his pain. And as he experienced pain, he poured his heart out to God. He surrendered to God. He gave his all to God and trusted God. He was desiring for God to be what? To be glorified. For God to be glorified throughout the kingdom. For the people there, the Assyrians, all people will be able to see how mighty this God is. I want to ask you a few questions here. Let's be honest with ourselves. Have we ever, or do we find ourselves in deep fear like Hezekiah? Think about that. Have you ever felt like there was an army of fear approaching upon you? Have you ever had bullies that caused you to feel afraid that you couldn't do what you needed to do? That you couldn't be yourself? What fear keeps you up at night? What fear keeps you up at night? What fear leads you to anxiety and lack of peace? Can we name our fears? Are we able to truthfully say, this is what I'm afraid of? Maybe we can't do so because we're too ashamed. Because if we do so, we might come across as being weak or not seen as a Christian. Or maybe the whole thought of Christians shouldn't fear, should they? Or this whole, well, if I trusted Jesus enough, I wouldn't be afraid. You see, this is all shame thinking. I'm here to tell you that this is saying that we don't measure up as Christians if we have fear. This is saying that our spirituality is definitely less than. I'm here to tell you that is not true. Because God made us who we are. We have different feelings. And from that, God wants us to be able to name those feelings. Because when we name those feelings, Oh my goodness, the light of Christ comes in. The darkness begins to spell away. And once that darkness is away, we can move further to seeking the help we might need. And there's no shame. There is power and help. I am tired of people thinking, I'm a weak person. If I have fears, I need help. You are a strong person. I say, go and get the help that you need. It might be with a Christian counselor. It might be with a Stephen minister, a trusted family friend or member. But please note that sometimes anxiety and fear is even beyond our ability because it's something clinical. It's something that's mental health. And we, we need a doctor and, and a therapist to help us with that. So there's no shame in that either. But I know some of you are. I know some of your, your fears that you have. The unknown fears, I think, are probably the biggest ones, aren't they? The fear of this is going to happen. Oh, this is going to happen about my, my health. I'm afraid of that. Or, goodness gracious, my children, I'm so concerned about them going to college, they may just do this and that. Or my, my job, I mean, it's a stress-out job, and I'm really concerned I'm going to lose my job, and if I lose my job, then there's no money, no money, I'm homeless. You see how your mind can go? And then finally, there's that loss of your loved ones. Maybe it's, it's a loved one you've lost. 
and through divorce or death. And how am I going to go on without that person? What's my life going to look at? How can I deal with those feelings? But I'm here to tell you, if we follow the example of King Hezekiah, we are going to be able to be like him, experience God's greatness, and move further in faith. Following King Hezekiah's lead, if we go to God, this is what I encourage us to do with our fears. As we are in our temple, or wherever you are, and you experience God, and say, God, it's me. I need you, God. You are a God I recognize. You're a God of faithfulness. You're a God of presence. You're a God who will never leave or forsake me, a God that I can trust. And in that, we take our eyes off ourselves, you know? Because so many times when we're in fear, we have a tendency to focus on a little me. But when we focus on God who's powerful, it takes our eyes off ourselves and put it right toward God. So I encourage us to praise God. And when we do, we see the power of God and our fear begins to melt away some. And then there's the author of lies. I do believe Satan is very real. And he's a great deceiver. And he might convince us that, oh, this God is weak. You don't have to trust this God. He's not going to come through for you. Just like these naysayers, these bullies said, the king Hezekiah and the officials. Indeed, that's something that we can stand against too, knowing the power of God. And as we remember who God is, we must also do one more thing. We must remember who we are, who we are in Jesus Christ. Galatians 2.20 reads, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I live now, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God, who loves me and gave himself up for me. So what does that mean? What does that mean? You know what that means is when we accept Jesus Christ into our heart, our lives are changed. The old nature is gone. The new nature is in us. And as that new nature is in us, that's Jesus alive. It's Jesus in us fighting that fear in us. So it's not us necessarily fighting the fear. It's us resting in Jesus who is in us to fight against that fear that binds us. So keep that in mind. Is Jesus fighting that fear in us as we trust and abide in him? I love the scripture. 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. His love is in us, and that love can indeed cast out all fear. And I love that the scripture that Dr. House brought to her attention, and it's so perfect. I was not going to make mention of this, but it ties in so beautifully about the love of God in us. If God be for us, who can be against us? Who can separate us from the love of Christ? In all things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. We are more than conquerors. He that gave his son for us all, shall he not through him give us all things? Talking about the power of God's love in us that we'll not be separated from that law because that love of Jesus is in us, living his life through us as we so allow him to do so, to fight our fears. And as we go from remembering who God is and who we are, there is that also embracing our pain as King Hezekiah did, the what-ifs pain, knowing that this may happen and then say, you know what, God, I can for you take a little bit of this pain on, ponder it, but also know as I feel some of this pain, I can know that you're God and you're going to indeed move me through this fear of this pain with you and you alone. So it begins to dispel some of the pain that, that fuels the fear, right? Because I do believe behind fear, there's pain. We don't want pain, so we fear. So if we're able to embrace our pain with Jesus, he indeed is the one who's there to move us. 
in our fear to his place. And what is that place? I love this place. This place is for you and for me to come to. The place of his embrace. The place of the shepherd loving you to him. Leading you through the valley of the shadow of death. We have nothing to fear. And as you continue to move beyond that, you'll be able to see his goodness and mercy. You see, Jesus took on pain and suffering upon the cross. And because he knows our suffering, he wants us as that shepherd to hold us close, to take our pain, to walk us through it, to lead us to, to more of who this Jesus is and how powerful he is, both as God and as Savior in our hearts and lives. And for that, I just encourage us all, as we think about who this God is, to pour ourselves out to him, to surrender ourselves, to come to a place where we say, all right, God, this is too big for me. I trust in your faithfulness. We need to be able to say, but God, it is only God through him that we can indeed face the fears that we have and move through them successfully in great victory. I'm a firm believer that God hears our prayers. God has heard your prayer and God has heard my prayer. And in response, as we pray to God, that God intervenes, showing us who he is and also who we are. We name our pain, we experience our, our pain and the fear, and from that we're loved on even more so. This great love that God has for us through Jesus. I'm here to tell you that I've experienced that in my own life, the things I have felt there that are very fearful, is that God has come in and said, you know what, remember who I am. It's going to be okay. And as you remember who I am, remember who you are in Christ, Ed, that Jesus is in you, and he's going to fight this fear for you. And then lastly, embrace your pain, Ed. Embrace it. Be willing to go there. It's not so bad because I'm going to be holding you up. I am going to lead you through this. And as you do so, trust me. Trust in me. Lean on my what? My everlasting arms. So as we sing this hymn today, I want us to lean on the everlasting arms of God. And as we lean on those arms of God to remember who this God is and who we are, and when we do so, fear is so less. Fear begins to spell, and God's greatness, God's greatness is experienced and seen in a mighty way. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. I encourage you, if you'd like to come to the altar to express your fears to God or, or share so, right there in the, the pulpit or the area there where you're sitting, by all means do so, because God is there to hear your prayer. Mm -hmm.